Law, Policy, and Markets. I'm Alan Marks. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Matthias Eisen, a partner in Milbank's financial restructuring group based in Frankfurt. I think the big mistake that people are making is looking at the current situation as a complete exception. Let's get to it. Germany is a top trading nation in Europe, exporting over 1.3 trillion euro in goods and services each year. The German economy is the fourth largest in the world, after the United States, China, and Japan, ranking ahead of the UK, India, France, and Italy. Until recently, Germany's economic strength benefited hugely from global demand for its exports, stable prices, and cheap supplies of natural gas imported from Russia. Then, Russia invaded Ukraine, throwing a spanner in the works. Now, inflation, driven in large part by rising energy prices, together with other supply chain disruptions and rising interest rates, have brought headwinds to the economy, liquidity challenges to many companies, and uncertainty to capital markets. Yet, I think it's fair to say, Germany and the European Union are faring much better in early 2023 than might have been expected, thanks to a warmer winter, government intervention, and replenished gas supplies. The economy is weathering the shocks surprisingly well. That said, continued uncertainty is probably the new normal. When I lived in Germany many years ago, I remember hearing this phrase many times when things got tough. In der Ruhe liegt die Kraft. Strength lies in being calm. I can think of no one stronger or calmer to help explain where the German economy may be headed than Matthias Eisen, a lawyer with Milbank in Frankfurt. Matthias, let's dive right in to see what the new year holds for the German economy, European debt capital markets, and corporate restructurings. Thanks for taking the time to get together today. Sure. So if you look right now at going into 2023, the German outlook is a little bit better than it was uh, even when we looked at the markets three months ago, but it's still not out of the woods. What's your overall take on the market? I think when you look at the German economy as a whole, there are perhaps two points that are most noteworthy. The first one is that there's a general difference in reality and, and perception. And to cut a long story short, the reality in many cases is actually better than what market and market participants believe things to be. For example, the economic growth in 2022 was better than many people had expected it with 2%, even, and that's even after inflation, which was around 8% in, in Germany last year. However, down at the core, and I think this is the reason why there is this discrepancy between perception and reality, is that there is a general uneasiness about what's to come next, given that there are fundamental changes currently being on the horizon for the German economy. One of them being the general supply chain disruption, a deglobalization that is particular affecting the industry-heavy economy in Germany, for example, all the automotive suppliers and the, and the OEMs, the rise in the energy prices that we have particularly seen in 2022 with increases of as much as around 20-22% in 2022 alone, and the general trend towards higher interest rates and, and inflation, all of that creates a rather toxic mix for the German economy and is the reason why the general perception on the German economy is rather bleak these days. 
So if you look at that, not just on a macroeconomic level, but also on kind of an enterprise level, you've got an export-driven economy. And of course, you mentioned deglobalization and supply chain disruption. So that's a headwind. Inflation, you mentioned about 8% last year in Germany, which is still below the 10% Eurozone inflation rate for 2022. That's forecasted to come down maybe around 6% for whole year 2023. I know the Bundesbank and the German government just put out a fairly rosy picture by comparison to the earlier forecasts looking at this coming year. I know the ECB is still raising rates, uh, but that may slow mid-year and perhaps the recession will not be so bad thanks in part to a warmer winter and 200 billion euro of, of government support that together have eased some of the pressures on uh, energy prices and therefore inflation as a whole. So for companies looking at this picture, there still seems to be uh, kind of a lot of uncertainty. Uh, heightened perception of risk. Uh, and we see that in markets. We see not just higher benchmark rates, but also higher credit spreads. Are companies having liquidity pressures that are different than expected? And will that kind of ease perhaps or be ameliorated by some of the government support and, and other positive factors? I think it depends on which sector you're looking at. I think for most companies, there are no liquidity pressures, I would say, yet, because the headwinds have just started, although they are expected to become stronger in the in, in the year 2023. So liquidity for most companies is still okay. However, there are companies in certain sectors, for example, retail, automotive, anything that is heavily dependent on low energy prices, where the headwinds that you have described have already eaten significantly into liquidity and cause stress in this respect. And so for corporate restructurings, are you expecting default rates to rise? I know we've we've also seen just as far as, you know, the extreme case of bankruptcies, you know, around 1200 a month for new filings in Germany, which is, you know, still historically low. Yeah. So the last years or the last couple of years, I should say, were extraordinary years in respect of extremely low and actually all time low insolvency cases. That will change although the legislator has made an attempt to actually keep insolvency cases and numbers at those historic low levels, simply because there is too much change currently ongoing in the overall macroeconomic environment. And there will be some companies which will still, which will nevertheless be unable to, to keep up. We are looking, for example, at restructurings where there is massive new money requirement, massive haircut, and at some point, the respective stakeholders might say it's not worth hanging on to that company and let will let it fall into an insolvency. The legislator has picked up on this by the end of last year and has, in order to counter this, shortened the general uh, forecast period that is applicable to companies in order to avoid a mandatory filing for insolvency due to over-indebtedness. By shortening the forecast period, the directors need to apply from 12 months to four months. This year, you only need to look four months into the future and come to the conclusion that it's more likely than not that you will remain liquid on, on a cash flow basis in order to avoid a mandatory insolvency filing. Okay. And this is the going concern forecast change in the insolvency code? Correct. How about maturity walls? I mean, are there are there a number of companies which were not able to, for whatever reason, refinance or refinanced at shorter tenders than perhaps they should have during you know the boom in refinancings that we saw you know in the last eighteen months before this? It's 
not so much a maturity wall where there's like one month or one year where many LBO or corporate financings will run out. It's more staggered approach. So particularly with, you know, maturities coming up in 2023, 2024, all of those will have a hard time refinancing for, you know, various reasons. It's the it's the overall state in which the company is in. It's the rise in the interest rate and the general market for taking out new financing. A couple of years ago, people were extremely attracted to a piece of paper that had a yield of 7, 8 or even 9%. Nowadays, you can make those returns easily by simply buying bonds on the on the capital market. So you do not need to go into you know the private debt markets which usually involve more work more due diligence and, and what have you so that creates some headwinds for companies that otherwise might have solved some of their liquidity problems by refinancing you know given the the current uh, rate environment with the rise in interest rates that put a pressure on the general economics of a company and the debt burden that they can sustain as a going concern at the same time facing economic headwinds from the slowdown overall macroeconomic environment. And that does create pressure for any refinancing that is due to occur in 2023 or 2024. And this is the reason why the legislator has, for example, shortened the going concern forecast period. A simple example, you take a company that faces a maturity, say in November this year, and you still had the 12 months going concern forecast, then this maturity would need to be taken into account into the overall going concern forecast prognosis, whether it's more likely than not that this debt can be refinanced. And that might be difficult at this stage, given, you know, again, the rise in interest rates, economic headwinds and what have you. But given that it's currently only four months, that November maturity does not have to be taken into account into this going concern forecast. So that, that eases the burden, but it also kind of kicks the can down the road. Is that going to create problems later? Yes, that may well create problems later, which is the reason why we, uh, our general advice is don't kick the can down the road, try to tackle the problems early. The reason why the legislator eased the pressure was not for you to kick down the road, but to tackle the problems without having your back pressed against the wall. The other point to consider here is that most loan agreements, at least here in the German market, still have an audit um, covenant or an audit event of default, i.e. if your auditors do not provide you with an unqualified audit opinion, you may result or you may face the result of an event of default in your facilities agreement. And usually you are required to provide your audited financial statements after 120 days after the end of your financial year. So by end of April, those usually need to be delivered. And if you can only deliver them with a qualified or even no opinion from the auditor regarding the going concern at all, this may also create a problem under your respective facilities agreement. Let me ask you a question then, too, about another legislative change or initiative that was came into effect in Germany. This is now back in 2021 and see how it's performing to give companies kind of a, a, a tool for pre-insolvency restructuring proceedings. I'm thinking particular of the 2021 amendments to the German Corporate Stabilization Restructuring Act, known as STARUG, uh, by its German acronym. Can you tell us about that and how it's working? Yeah, sure. So the German scheme, or um, STARUG as it's called in, in German, 
has been introduced as part of an overall European initiative to enable and foster pre-insolvency restructurings. The way it works is that it incentivizes the borrower to enter into the German scheme early in order to reach an arrangement with its creditors, particularly its financial creditors, on its outstanding liabilities. We have to date not seen the German scheme being used for large capital structures, although it was designed for financial restructurings in many ways similar to what the English scheme of arrangement actually does. But this should not be mistaken by this new tool not having any effect. In fact, it's, it's the other way around. The pure existence of this restructuring tool as a plan B in restructuring negotiations very often drives the outcome on, on the plan A. Say, for example, you have a pool of creditors in your syndicated facilities agreement of 75 overall, and you try to drive consensus among them. For example, if you want to extend the maturities or decrease the coupon or provide the, the respective new money, you need the consent of each and every one of those holders. The German scheme gives you a tool how you can nevertheless implement this restructuring with the consent of only 75%, not taken as a headcount, but on the overall amount outstanding in order to implement the respective restructuring. If you have a plan B to drive the consensus, you very often arrive at the plan A result. And this is now only with respect to getting to a consensus among your group of holders. You can also use the Starbuck, and we as a firm have used the, the Starbuck as a tool to even drive consensus against the shareholder. So a shareholder that does not want to engage in the respective restructuring, for example, does not want to hand over the respective keys, can also be forced to hand over the keys and, for example, implement a debt for equity swap with the help of the German scheme, because the German scheme also allows you to restructure the equity capital of a borrower that is on the brink of an insolvency. In practice, does that tool then lead to a change in the dynamics of the restructuring negotiation as opposed to actually being used? To date, it has mostly changed the, the dynamics of the negotiations and the way how the respective stakeholders, in particular shareholders, have behaved. And as a result, there was no particular need to use it in practice. In respect of the use in practice, there's one big reason why people haven't used it to date, and that is that nobody has used it before. The fact that the, um, the judges are not really experienced it, in it for large capital structures has also been another reason. I would think that by the time one large restructuring has been implemented with the help of the German scheme, then we will definitely see more restructurings. Another aspect to consider is that particular distressed investors have become very comfortable with the English scheme of arrangement and also with a new English restructuring plan that, from my point of view, also has got a lot to do with the quality of the jurisprudence and the quality of the judges at the English High Court. Germany still needs to earn its reputation in this respect. So for companies with multinational operations or, you know, for, for some reason, a choice of jurisdictions in which to resolve their liquidity problems or their solvency problems, why might one, either a creditor or a debtor, 
prefer Germany to a forum like England or Ireland or the US or elsewhere? There's a general trend, not only among lawyers, but also in the general legislation and the way how politicians think about restructurings, that you should not seek shelter in a foreign jurisdiction to implement your restructuring. So when I look back 15 years ago, it was seen as something quite modern and quite fancy for a German company to transfer its Comey, for example, to England and implement the restructuring with the help of the English restructuring tools. This was also a necessity because Germany didn't have the tools at the time. The overall perception now is completely different. The overall perception now is Germany has given you the tools to restructure successfully with, for example, the Germans, or in particular, the German scheme. Hence, you shouldn't have to move your Comey and you shouldn't move your center of main interest into a, a foreign jurisdiction. That's the general perception and the general notion of how the public would like to see restructurings uh, to be achieved. I want to come back to the economic sectors for a moment. You, you mentioned some which are significantly impacted by the uncertainty in the economy, energy, retail, of course, anything tied, I think, to travel as well. What about real estate? Because it, we are coming off of a period where perhaps there's a bit of a, I won't say a bubble, but prices were certainly significantly higher. There's a lot of uncertainty too in post-COVID period, you know, how commercial real estate will fare versus residential. And there's, of course, the impact of rising interest rates. Where do you see the real estate sector shaking out in 2023 in Germany? I think in the real estate sector, we are currently seeing a very long cycle coming to an end. And this cycle has predominantly been built on a very, very low interest rate and a constant increase in the value of real estate property. And that taken together has led to real estate companies buying property, financing the respective acquisitions through that financing, and basically building more and more real estate on their balance sheet that has been financed increasingly through the debt capital markets. And we have seen lots of restructurings in this space. Just to mention, Adler is currently undergoing a, a restructuring core state, Accentro, there are many players that are affected by the cycle coming to an end, which you know has various roots. The, the rise in interest rates puts a big question mark on the overall business model. For example, the amount of money that you have to pay for your debt does exceed the amount of money that you can take from your tenants. You, automat you automatically have a problem with your, with, with your business model. At the same time, many companies are forced to write down the values that they have on their balance sheet for the respective real estate, which then also causes a concern on the amount of debt that they can take up. So we have seen lots of structures where the overall debt burden has become unsustainable and where as a result, the respective real estate companies want to sell the respective portfolios of real estate that they hold. That in turn, if too many people try to sell large portfolios at the same time at prices they think are right, but the market doesn't think they are right, has led to a complete freeze in, in the market right now. So whether it's Unovia or, or Adler, they're all trying to sell at the moment, but there's hardly any buyer. We've hardly seen any transactions. 
And if you look at not just real estate, but more broadly, again, I know that you've been active not just in restructurings and distressed debt, but also, of course, in new issuances. 2021 was a record year. People hadn't been as active in 2020 due to the pandemic, and they, they, they did a lot of new issuances in 2021. Interest rates then were still extremely low. Liquidity was very high, especially with government support globally. And there was a lot of refinancing activity that would have happened in 2022 that was also pulled forward into 2021. We certainly last year saw high yield debt in Europe issuances come, frankly, to a screeching halt for a period of the year. Do you see new issuances in the current uncertain environment this year picking back up? Is it different in the segmentation as well by, if not by sector, but maybe by uh, asset quality with maybe a flight to higher yielding investment grade paper as opposed to, to high yield? We currently have not seen lots of new issuances in 2023. So I think the general sentiment is that the market will come back and is about to come back, but we haven't really seen it yet, at least not here in, in, in Germany, I would say. Good. If you could wave a magic wand over the market this year, what would you change? What mistake are people making? I think the big mistake that people are making is looking at the current situation as a complete exception. When I look at 2022, I don't think anybody had foreseen that this year would actually turn out as it actually has turned out with the high inflation rate, the extreme price in financial restructurings, the end of the cycle in the property markets. Nobody had foreseen it. And given everything happened so quickly and so drastically, I think many people believe that this must be an exception. And just as suddenly as it had appeared, it also should disappear. And hence, there's a general tendency to kick down, to kick the can down the road, in particular when it comes to refinancings that are on the horizon. And I think that that's a mistake because nobody can foresee what 2023 will come. And it's not a given from our perspective that the current situation will come to an end um, very soon. I think people should get accustomed and uh, should accommodate themselves to the to a potential scenario that this might continue, depending irrespective of you know for whether or not the war in Ukraine comes to a swift end or whether the inflationary pressures start to come down a little bit. Words of wisdom. Well, herzlichen Dank. Thank you very much for taking the time to to talk today. I really appreciate your insights. Sure. Thanks very much for the initiative. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Law, Policy, and Markets, Milbank Conversations. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and learn more at milbank.com.